Welcome to the Pod 20, and my guest this week is Tom Fordyce from Crowd Network. You'll know him from That Peter Crouch podcast, and Crowd Network have got some cracking podcasts. We'll talk about them soon. Gary Hayes from Highway 61 will talk about the Neil Reynolds podcast, and the entrepreneur Simon Squibb will be on to tell us how his life changed when in his 20s he moved on his own to Hong Kong. It's all happening on the Pod 20, the countdown for the lockdown. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com and around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. At number 20 this week, the Adam Buxton podcast. Adam's latest ramble chat is with the actor, comedian and writer Miles Jopp. At 19, The Fellas, the talk show podcast hosted by unproblematic black men. At 18, Death of a Sports Star, unforgettable tragic stories of superstars we loved and lost. It's the brainchild of Tom Fordyce, and Tom, you're a bit of a sports star yourself, aren't you? I am very much at the, the amateur end of the scale, Graham. So I, yeah, I've always done a little bit of everything. I was one of those kids who was obsessed with sports. So, what the, you know, depending on the time of year, I might be playing football or cricket or tennis or swimming or on my bike. And that's carried on in, into adult life. And I think in my previous job as chief sports writer at the BBC, that was a real advantage, not because I could understand what the elites were doing, because there is an enormous gulf, obviously, in ability, but also experience of what you do, but because it gave me a fascination to what they were doing. So if I was talking to Crouchy, I was fascinated by that world. Or if I was speaking to, to Geraint Thomas, I could see the gap between the good amateur riders that I knew and then what the elite can can do and, and, and the level they can consistently perform at. So it was that obsession. And if, you, if you're writing or broadcasting about music, you don't have to be a, an elite guitarist or drummer or singer. But I think if you have attempted it and you're into it, then it just fuels your passion for that subject i think that's how that little relationship worked for me i i think unfortunately um particularly in radio there are a lot of people who talk a lot about music who have never been on a stage and done a gig in a band and that usually annoys me there are a lot of those kind of i don't want to name names but a lot of those kind of uh, well six musicy style people who will talk as if they know what they're... And they have no idea what they're talking about. And that does bother me. So it's good that you've come from a sport background. You've at least done it at some... I mean, at some level. I mean, uh, as a triathlete, you've done all right, haven't you? <laughs> I did used to enjoy triathlon, yeah. It was. It seemed to hit that sweet spot for me as someone who used to do a lot of running but was always getting injured. Because triathlon involves three different sports, you could just train harder and not get injured. Um, so I used to really enjoy that. I used to really enjoy triathlon. And uh, there was a camaraderie with triathlon as well that I found. You, you'll be familiar with if you ever watched the London Marathon on TV. And when the the, the sort of the mass field are coming through the finish line, there, there were always hugs and tears and everything else between the different runners because they all understand what each other has gone through. It's a little bit like that with triathlon. You've all, you know, you've, you've swum your 1500 meters in a lake or a river or whatever it is. And you've pushed yourself so hard on your bike that you feel sick. And then you've done this 10 kilometer run when you've got absolutely nothing left in the tank. So there was a lovely camaraderie about it as well. And that was really, that's how I got into when I talk about doing the, uh, ghost in the book for Alistair and Johnny Brownlee, who, uh, world champions, Olympic champions at triathlon. 
that gave me so much interest in what they were doing because it's still quite an arcane sport triathlon. It gave me a real fascination with what they were doing. It also meant that when I was doing the book, because a lot of the time ghosting a book for someone is like doing a real in-depth interview with someone if you're broadcasting. You have to create that bond and you have to create that level of trust. And what I found was good with, with Alistair and Johnny was I could head off with them on their long four-hour bike ride and we could have a chat on that and chew things over. And then when we got back and they would be ready to eat an enormous meal because they'd also done a big swim session and a run session that day, then we would chat about the things that we talked about on the bike ride in a slightly more um, controlled environment so we could record it all. And yeah, it really worked as a, as a bond, I think, between us. And the podcasts are working great too. You know, death of a sports star and death of a rock star. We'll talk more about death of a rock star in a bit. At 17, case file, true crime. The latest case featured is the Yosemite sightseeing murders. At 16, the Ezra Klein podcast. In the latest episode, Ezra and Chris Hayes process the wild US election. At 15, the Neil Reynolds podcast. American football life stories from the biggest names in the sport. It's made by Highway 61 podcasts. Gary Hayes from Highway 61. How did this all come about? Yeah, so Neil Neil and I have been working together for about four years. I know nothing about the NFL, but ended up working with the NFL, working with Neil on some publications. And um, we just created this um, this friendship, I guess, like this professional friendship where, I don't know, this is what I do with people where I'm just like, I'm unrelenting. I'm like, just on them. And in the end, we did, we did a podcast last year, which was a narrative series called um, Overtime, which is all about um, NFL culture in the UK. And then that led to... we. I did all this breakdown of it and I just said to Neil, I was, look, these, these are the numbers that we were getting. I did this series report and I was like, but if we're going to do a series two, it needs to be more like this. And he said, it's so funny you say that because I've wanted to do my own series, you know, like live stories. Um, so I was like, well, let's get together and do this. And then we just sort of rebranded over time as the Neil Reynolds podcast, but obviously did it as a separate project. Um, and it's sort of like a narrative mixed in with an interview where Neil has these little bits of voiceover in there, but it's so sort of like a hybrid style podcast. Um, and it's just this whole idea of, you know, when, when we speak to the players, we, Neil says to them straight up or, you know, the, the executives that we've spoken to, we're not here to talk about whether you're getting traded. We're not here to talk about the, putt, the, the catch you made last week. We're here to talk about how you got to the NFL. You know, what, what's, what's your journey? And then it's sort of, we, we, you know, we've been getting real long interviews with some people that normally only ever give out five minute interviews and they're done whereas we've been able to sit down and really get them to relax which is what neil's really good at um you know, i think in the uk especially anyone who follows the nfl knows that there's no one better in the in the uk or probably outside of the us when it comes to nfl coverage than neil you know he's like the anchor on sky sports and you know so he's the face of it here but when he speaks to these players especially the ones that he's built relationships with over time they really, really respect him. And um, and you see it that when they talk to him, they, they really open up. So, um, yeah, that's, that's been a really good series to work on. We're up to um, episode 18 on that now. And um, we've had like a really varied you know, group of you know current players, former players, um, a couple of executives, some coaches. Um, we launched it with um, obviously COVID sort of killed some of the style of it where we launched it with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's the the current quarterback for the Miami Dolphins and Neil knows him really well so we went fishing with him for the day um, 
and we we did the interview and you know mixed in some of the fishing with it and we, we're gonna at some point we're gonna release the whole fishing experience as a bonus episode later on in the year um so we did this interview with Fitz, and then um we interviewed the the head coach from the tampa bay buccaneers um bruce arians when we were in tampa and then we flew back and obviously lockdown happened so we had all these grand plans of we were going to go over for training camp in you know july and august and we were going to you know, go on a road trip through Florida up into Georgia and speaking to a lot of these players. But in the end, we've had to persevere and, you know, do these interviews online, you know, using, you know, online technology to do it. Uh, so it sort of killed it a bit in terms of how big we were going to make it, mm. but we've still been able to, you know, put out a good show. It is. It's a great show. And it's at number 15 this week, the Neil Reynolds podcast. Gary Hayes will be back next week to talk about a Highway 61 podcast called the blueprint which tells the story of how chelsea went from being also rans in the early 90s to european champions in 2012 number 14 you're wrong about with michael hobbs and sarah marshall this week princess diana part four the divorce at 13 desert island discs the latest castaway is hillary mcgrady the Director-General of the National Trust. At 12, Death of a Rockstar. It's made by Crowd Network. Tom Fordyce from Crowd Network. Why did you decide to make a series of narrative podcasts about dead rock stars? Yeah, this sort of thing isn't really being done in Britain at the moment. And we felt that we wanted to bring, I suppose, a level of quality with, with the writing, with the voicing and the production so that these, each of these shows would be a, a, a mini documentary, but also in that half hour, because I'm only writing 4,000 odd words, which is, which is nothing if you're talking about the life and death of a, of a famous musician. It was, it was telling people parts of the story they didn't know. It was casting a fresh perspective on a life that might feel otherwise quite familiar. And then it was utilising these, these brilliant voiceover artists that we use and the production to create a really immersive experience because as you said like most podcasts in the uk i think we are you know what you think maybe two three years behind america yeah definitely we're we're a bit we're a bit stuck at the moment aren't we on this celebrity interview celebrity idea now when those are done well they're brilliant and there are heaps of great examples we could both name but we just wanted to try something a bit different and i found them hugely satisfying to do because each of them presents a challenge. Mm. If you're doing Otis Redding or if you're doing Bob Marley or if you're doing Karen Carpenter, which parts of their life do you choose to talk about? Which parts of their life do you choose to ignore? Because, say, 4,000 words, half an hour of podcast is not a great deal. What sources do you use? How do you start to write for the particular voiceover artist who's going to be doing them? How do you satisfy the obsessive fans? So if I'm writing about George Michael... How do you write something that the people who have read everything about George Michael and seen all the seen him in concert tw 10, 20 times and bought all the singles and the albums, how do you keep them happy, but also pull in someone who might not like George Michael, who might just go, yeah, Wham well, weren't ready for me. and I didn't really like his solo stuff. How do you pull those listeners in as well? So they've been a, they've been a real pleasure to do um, because they're all, they're all so different. They're all so different. Trying to find a structure, as we said earlier, a way in a fresh intro, a fresh angle, and then purely from selfish reasons, Graham, as the guy writing them, or as someone writing a lot of them, there's quite a, a magical moment for me when I first hear the voiceover artist 
perform them. This is before the production's been put in place. And it's like someone's taken my words and just doubled their effectiveness because Emma Clark and Elroy Spoonface Powell and Tom Price, who are reading them, are so good that they just transform my words. It's actually quite an emotional experience, you know. So do you give them notes ahead of time or do they just look at the raw words? I'll give them a little steer, but what I, what I, I find is that you can... This is almost where my ghosting experience comes in because when you're ghosting a book for someone, you just get a sense of someone's cadence, how they speak and the words they use. And I'm finding the same with the voiceover, the three voiceover artists, is that I can hear Emma or Spoon or Tom in my head and I can write for them. I can put it in phrases and the cadence that they would use. Well, it works a treat. It's a great podcast. Some tragic stories, too. Death of a Rock Star, number 17 this week. Tom Fordyce from Crowd Network. Tom will be on later to talk about Crowd Network's rugby podcast, The Joe Marler Show. At 11 on the Pod 20, Law, the award-winning podcast about true life scary stories. 10 is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition, and at nine, the Good Luck Club podcast from the entrepreneur Simon Squibb. When you were in your 20s, Simon, you moved on your own to Hong Kong. Now, there's a thing called the immigrant work ethic. Did you find that moving to a new country where you knew virtually no one, you worked harder than you did in the UK? There's something in that. First of all, when you move somewhere new, I didn't have any friends, you know, so there's, and in some respects, that could be a good thing. First of all, there's no peer pressure yeah. of, of what you should be doing. And secondly, is, you know, work was my only way of socializing. So, so there's an element of like, well, if I work, I can you know, on a Sunday be hanging out with the client I'm working for and brainstorm some ideas and go for a swim. And, you know, it's all kind of mixed in one. And I think that that, you know, I guess is an immigrant piece too. You know, it's, um, I don't have other friends that are calling me on a Sunday to go and see them, which is what it was like when I first moved there. I also think there's another element to it, which is, and I tried to tell people this today in my in my new um, uh, goal of helping one million people start a business of their own, is I try to explain to people that taking risk when you're young is is the best time to take risk. And 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 I think because you've got less to lose, <laughs> you've got you've got less to lose, you've got less responsibility. You haven't got kids, you haven't got a mortgage, you know, you haven't got these things that perhaps. To create a monthly requirement of income and, and you can take more chance. And I think when you go overseas, that this is how I felt. I felt I could go to Hong Kong, I could fail and come back with a travel story and that was the worst that would happen, you know? And that would still be interesting. <laughs> Whereas in England, and even when I was doing my gardening company and I did my accommodation business, I always had this feeling that, you know, England, if you fail, everyone's gonna know. And it was, it was I was scared to fail in the same way. Whereas in Hong Kong, I was literally, I would try big, crazy ideas with this feeling like, well, if it fails, it's not the end. It doesn't matter. It's all an experience. And I think Hong Kong gave that to me that, that England didn't. Yeah. Um, but eventually I, I got a reputation in Hong Kong. And I, got, I became quite successful there. And, and, I, and I, then I started to also have fear of failure because once you get well known and respected within the community, it comes back again, just like it does in England for a lot of people. You don't want your family to see you fail. You don't want your friends to see you fail. So when I started to succeed in Hong Kong, there was definitely a moment where I had to continue to take risk and fight back against that urge not to take so much risk because people would see you fail at things and then continue to embr embrace failure. So how important is risk? Well, I, I mean, I, I have a whole thing about it. I, I, I think there's, there's, you get luck. I've been lucky in business. 
anyone that's been successful in business that doesn't say they've been lucky is, is, is not telling the truth. I've had an awful lot of luck. That's, I would say, for example, my last company getting bought by PwC, I never planned for that business to get bought by PwC. It was luck that they had decided as a company, as an organization, to pivot into the service business that I had. And I happened to be the only large independent business available for them to buy, you know. So, so you know that that is luck. Now, of course, people always defend me and say, "Well, Simon, you worked hard," and so on. But you know, getting back to your question, I think to, there are two types of luck. There is the random luck, the luck where you're born, for example, or um, you know, life you're born into. Let's call coronavirus, you know, bad luck, if you want. You know, there's nothing we can do about it. It's happened. But there's another type of luck I discovered, and this luck you can influence. And, and three ways you influence luck. In other words, three ways to make sure that you are luckier in life. The first is what you just mentioned, risk. The more risk you take, the more chances of luck. If you take no risk, you seriously reduce your chances of, of luck. So risk and fear are, are totally linked. And I learned quite young that fear was a good feeling. Fear was not something, most people when they feel fear, the, their instant reaction is to try and reduce that feeling of fear as quickly as they can so they don't feel fear anymore. Which is a natural but, hardwired thing about humans, isn't it? It is to reduce the amount of fear and the pain, emotional pain that you're suffering, but it's not necessarily great for getting on in life. Well, to be honest, my, my feeling is if you go back to nature, fear was given to us as a almost like a superpower to push us through hard moments and hard things. So I don't think you're meant to get rid of it as soon as you can. So, for example, I remember at 23 years old when you know, I was like, come to Hong Kong. And a friend of mine said, oh, you don't want to go to Hong Kong. You know, it's very, um, you know, it's, 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 it's got triads and are you sure and all these scary things. I remember having this feeling of fear, but that kind of drove me to push through the idea of not doing it. So I, and later on, I got asked to do public speaking, for example. And I remember when the first time I got asked to do public speaking, I felt this fear. But I thought this is a good thing. I'm going to use it to make sure I practice, to make sure I get good at public speaking. To make I, I leverage fear to make me run faster, to be stronger, to think harder about things. And so I've learned to realize that fear was given to us as an asset, not something to suppress or get away from. And I think you're right when you when you say people think it's something that they um, they should avoid. But actually, I, I say to people, if you want to get luckier in life, embrace fear, lean into it. Every time you feel fear, do exactly the opposite to what that you know instinct is to stop the fear. And that actually will increase your luck because ultimately fear is risk. More risk equals more luck. There's two other elements to it, but I, I, I could go on to, about it forever. So. so why did you move back to the UK? Um, I hit 40 and um, I, I mean, it's, it's a complicated answer. The initial answer is I felt like I, I, I was getting quite soft and, and life was getting too easy. You know, I, I had a driver, I had hundreds of people working for me. I can make anything happen. I know this sounds like, oh, you know, this is a, this is a hard luck story, is it, Simon? You know, that doesn't sound like that much hard luck. But at 40, I just felt like I had reached a certain plateau and Hong Kong was, was a great place, but I felt like I missed my roots. I'm English. I'd been away 20 years you know, or so, um, or 20, 18, 19 years. And I felt like you know, I, I should get back to my roots. And I felt like I'd kind of conquered that part of the world at that moment in my life. And I had a conversation with my wife. My, my wife um, and, and I had been in business together 15 years. And I, I, I was going to work one morning very early. And I said to her, I'll be back at midnight. And she said, why are you working so hard you know and i'm like well you know we've got to you know make it make these businesses work and she's like simon they're already working 
you know why are you actually doing this and and she made me think i bought into a bit of an ego um process where you know i was self-fulfilling it's like i guess success breeds success but actually it wasn't money wasn't buying me the only thing i think money buys you i think the only thing money buys you is time so if my time was still like chock a block all day long working i hadn't actually um enjoyed my success so my wife and i decided to take a couple of years off have a child because we were getting old but we hadn't had a child yet um get into shape and rethink what it is we want to do with our lives going forward. So that's what we did. I sold all my assets, all my businesses um, in Hong Kong. Um, I kept a small share in one business and then, um, yeah, moved back to England uh, three years ago now. Well, next week, I want to find out the difference between living in Hong Kong and living in England. Simon Squibb, the Good Luck Club podcast is at number nine this week on the pod 20. At eight, the lock-in with Jeremy Paxman. His latest guest is James Rebanks, a farmer based in the Lake District turned best-selling author. Number seven is Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Conan's latest guest is Jim Parsons, who played Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. At six, The Joe Marler Show. Joe is a rugby star who has played in World Cup finals but who is now on a new mission to meet fascinating people doing the most remarkable jobs. His co-host is Tom Fordyce. Tom, did this podcast happen because you did that Peter Crouch podcast? A little bit like that, yeah. I think the, the, the thing about Crouchy is that he has a foot in both camps, so he can understand the sort of the madness of football while I was talking about it. And he's just very self-deprecating. He's a very British sporting hero, Crouchy, I think. He's very self-deprecating. He's very charming. He takes the mickey out of himself. And Joe's like that. Joe is self-deprecating and charming and doesn't big himself up and just views the, wor- the world in a slightly different way. And what we thought with Joe is there's, there's loads of great rugby podcasts out there. We didn't need to do another rugby podcast. But we wanted to put him, because he's fascinated by people. He's fascinated by what makes people tick. And so am I. That's almost why I wanted to be a journalist in the first place, Graham. I knew what I thought. I wanted to know what other people thought and the lives that they led. So each week we meet a different person with an interesting job. So we've spoken to a psychopath expert. We've spoken to a zookeeper from London Zoo. We've spoken to Tim Peake, the astronaut. Michelle Rue, the chef. We've spoken to a tattoo artist. We've spoken to a stunt woman. So all these jobs and each one of them have blown us away. Because we've learned so much. It's it's such a fun afternoon recording that podcast. Joe so will ask stuff. It's that just I can't his curiosity ask. then that because I Yeah, mean, I think so. You know, you you've interviewed thousands of people. You know how to interview somebody. I'm just wondering why you you teamed up with him to get him to uh, to be part of it. He Graham, he'll ask stuff that I wouldn't ask because <laughs> I'd have my sense sense my sensible journalist head on. <laughs> so he will say things like, Let me think of a good example for you. Um when we were talking to uh, Tim Peake, the astronaut, he will he will ask Tim Peake stuff like, he will say, come on, Tim, look, I don't trust anyone. How do we know that the moon landing's really happened? And as a result, he'll get a really good answer, whereas I would never ask that question because in my head I'm a serious journalist, you know, I wouldn't yeah. ask that of Tim Peake. Yeah. And he asked Tim Peake, do you believe in aliens? And again, I would have thought, no, nah, that's a silly question. It got a sensational answer because Tim Peake calmly and logically explained, well, there probably are alien life forms. Yeah. So it's that it's that ability that Joe has, and also it's just fun. Like the, two, the two of us get on really well, and we can have a good laugh doing it, and we we sort of bounce off each other well as well. 
it's just been a really enjoyable way. So we record um, when we record our shows. It's a really enjoyable way to spend an afternoon. A really good, fun way to spend an afternoon. And hopefully that comes across. Oh, it does. The Joe Marler Show is at number six this week on the Pod 20. And Tom Fordyce will be back next week to talk about the sports stars he met that ended up featuring in Crowd Network's podcast, Death of a Sports Star. Number five this week is newscast from the BBC. The latest episode is about Liverpool's COVID ward struggling to cope. At four, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. At three, Americast from the BBC. The story of the election. Number two, the Joe Rogan experience. Joe's latest guest is the stand-up comedian and actor, Tim Dillon. Which brings us to the top of the shop. And at number one, for the third week in a row, Shagged, Married, Annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. That's it for episode 28 of the Pod 20. Thanks to this week's guest podcasters, Tom Fordyce, Gary Hayes and Simon Squibb. If you'd like to watch extended video chats with my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Next week's guest is Amy Frost, the host of the equestrian podcast, Horse Hour. How long have you been doing the podcast now, Amy? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, since 2015. Right. So what's that? What are we up? Five years? Wow. I know. And I'm still broke. <laughs> <laughs> you are making some kind of money well, from it, though, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit. You know, podcasting's never going to make you a millionaire, Graham. Well, now it's been mentioned on podcast radio, you just never know your luck. Oh, you know, it, I think it would be like winning the lottery. I'd be yeah, this is the excited. break you were looking for, Amy. Yes, this is. is it. <laughs> now, who's it for? Who, who should listen to Horse Hour? So, well, Horse Hour was originally made for horse lovers. So I loved my horse very much. Uh, but our industry is a bit clicky. Everybody thinks that they have the answers to everything. So what are you feeding your horse? What rug are you putting on your horse? How long you ride your horse for? It's very, very critical. And I kind of got a bit fed up of people telling me what to do with my horse all the time when they weren't experts. So I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to actually ask the experts and I'll interview some of the top riders in the world and some veterinary experts and, um, and put it on a podcast. So... I remember getting our first six listeners and being so excited. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, six people have actually listened to me. Um, they're crazy. And I thought, well, I'd better release another episode. So I asked Monty Roberts, who um, he's world renowned for being a great horseman. And, um, and he's also great at telling his story. His story is fascinating. And I thought, well, you know, loads of people listen to that. And then before I knew it, we were in the iTunes chart. And so I kind of kept going from there. And is it just for like posh horsey set people? No, it's for poor people like me. So we've got no money. We eat beans on toast. All our money goes on our horses. And we'll happily live in a caravan and drinking tea um, and, you know, and starve ourselves for our horses to have the best. And how often do you put the podcast out? Every Monday. It was started from a networking hour on Twitter. And it was an hour where people all over the world who loved horses could talk to each other. 
and it was like the new website forum. So we were the first ever networking hour for horsey people. So that's why it was called Horse Hour. And then I thought, well, you know, I'll start a podcast and it'll be an hour long. So it's an hour of talking about horses. Do you make it an hour? I did to start with. Right. So in America, the traveling, average traveling journey is 45 minutes. An hour podcast means that someone can listen to it for their whole journey. Whilst in the UK, the average uh, commute is 30 minutes. So actually, I was getting a better response from my listening figures by people uh, listening to the 30-minute the podcast and the hour podcast. They'd cut off ah. halfway through otherwise. Hmm. So I right. keep them to around 30, 30, 40 minutes. Well, we'll find out more about it next week. Amy Frost, the host of Horse Hour, the equestrian podcast, and my special guest next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast chart next week? Will Shagged Married Annoyed be in the number one spot for a fourth week running? Maybe your favourite podcast will be number one. Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.